Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Tiffany Myers, the Chief Architect and Associate Vice President for Nationwide, where she supports the corporate technology organization. In this role, she is accountable for the architecture integrity of nearly 500 applications that support various enterprise systems and enable business functions such as HR, finance, investments, corporate law, and shared enterprise solutions enabling application integration, GIS, document solutions, and content management. Tiffany has an extensive technology background spanning nearly 30 years with a specialized focus in software architecture and application design. She began her career as a software engineer and after several years of developing applications, she moved into the area of software architecture. Tiffany has been with Nationwide over 20 years in the technology organization supporting various areas such as Nationwide.com, Enterprise SOA and Middleware, and Commercial Lines Distribution Solutions, the agency distribution channel. So that's enough of my intro, and now let's get stuck into the episode and hear more about Tiffany and her experience. So Tiffany, how are you today? I'm doing well, Connor. How about yourself? I'm great, thank you. Really good. And this is exciting for me to meet with you because you're working in such a a large, um, big organization that is such a good case study for some of the things we talk about, things like enterprise transformation, how to modernize various different groups, the culture of how do we make change in, in such an organization. You've been in tech for a decent amount of time now, and you've climbed all the way up from an early career person who you, you can share some of the experiences you've been through, through to now, this point where you're a chief architect and chief technology officer in, in a Fortune 500 company. So Tiffany, before I talk too much and take over the whole show, give us a bit of, a, of an insight of how did you get from that, early, that first point of uh, getting into a technology career from a career pivot, from a non-traditional background in what I remember to be culinary arts, yeah. to then getting into this point that you're now a CTO and chief architect at Nationwide? Yeah, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited. I know it's a non-traditional journey. And um, I always think it's just a fun story to share, but a lot of folks are usually intrigued by it. I am going into my 30th year in the technology industry. Um, It's gone by super fast. So when I think about it being 30 years, it certainly doesn't feel like it's been that long. You're absolutely right. When I was younger, um, in and around high school, I was really fascinated with cooking. 
Um, my grandmother at the time, my grandparents had a farm. My grandmother cooked a lot and I just watched her. This was in the 80s. There was no food network. There wasn't anything in terms of exposure other than just family and cooking and just loved it so much. Um, during school though, I was a pretty decent student, um, loved math, loved science. Um, when I told my guidance counselor I wanted to go into culinary arts, um, he was disappointed and then said, you know, you should reconsider it. I think that pushed me even more to really go to what, you know, was speaking to my heart at that time. And I think for a lot of us in technology, we're, we're going back and forth between the, um, the scientific side of our brain and the artistic side of our brain. And there's a healthy balance there. So anyway, so yes, I, I decided to go to culinary arts school. Johnston Wales University was actually a college at that point. Um, not many women in culinary arts, even back then, goodness. So um, not many um, individuals that looked like me, a lot of folks that had been cooking for quite some time, but I was just following my passion and really, really enjoyed it. I loved working with my hands. Um, I had an opportunity to do a co-op in Lake Tahoe and really enjoyed that. It opened up my eyes though um, to the, the food service industry. And it is a really tough industry. Um, you know, often you're going in at 10 a.m. in the morning, doing a lot of prep, um, working through the lunch and the dinner hours, cleaning up, and you are just exhausted by the end of the day. And by this point, I was in my very early 20s and was starting to think about, is this, do I see myself in this, in this career and in this lifestyle for a while? I was missing problem solving. And so um, I decided to go back to school and combine my culinary arts degree with something in and around business. I was intrigued um, with purchasing and I thought I could use my food background alongside um, some purchasing or logistical skills and maybe pursue something in, in that kind of field. So I applied and was accepted to Penn State University, which is a big ag school. And um, as an undergraduate, we were required to take programming classes. Well, one, not, not many, but one. And I'd never programmed before. At this point, I was probably 21. And um, so just signed up for it. It was Turbo Pascal and I fell in love with programming. I didn't feel as much joy and passion as I did with getting programs to work. And so it just, it just got into, into my blood and started using a lot of my electives towards programming classes and realized I needed to quickly change my major or I'd be a student forever. So um, I changed my major to information systems. Um, and again, too, not many women um, there in the, in the major, whether it's computer science or information systems. Um, so I was one of only a handful of women and graduated tops in my major that year and was just super excited. Um, so really just a pivot there from culinary arts into, into programming. And then that's where my, my career began. Tiffany, do you, do you think the whole, to me, culinary arts, it's creative. You're, how, you're, you're making something, you're thinking of how it should look, how it should be, how it should taste, design, and then programming. To some people, it's pure logic. It's following patterns. It's solving problems. But actually, I see it as very creative. You're having mm -hmm. to think completely without... Con some, sometimes, actually, you have constraints that keep you on track, right? Like it will not work with outside of certain constraints, but also you have to think outside of a box to be able to find a solution to a problem. So do you think that, would you say you have a creative side or a creative flair that has added to the, the career path you've taken? 
Yeah, I think so. And like I said, Connor, there's, I find so many other colleagues of mine, when we start to talk, they have, they have cooking backgrounds or music backgrounds. So there are elements of, to your point, patterns, definitely. And I'm in the architecture space. So I definitely see a lot of patterns and structure. Um, and with cooking too, now I will say this, is, is those of us in culinary arts, we were a little bit more ad hoc. Um, we could, we didn't have to be as precise as those in pastry arts, which I actually think is more of a science. You have to be more precise there. You have a level of freedom and creativity with the culinary arts piece, but it, there is structure there. You do have to follow um, a sequence quite, and you have to be organized and methodical. So I do think there's elements where they're related. Um, but what, what I loved is, is had I not been exposed I would have never known about these particular fields. Again, computer science, I hadn't been exposed to it until Penn State and same thing with culinary arts, seeing my grandmother and then going to school for it. So for me, that's what's really important is, is making sure, especially young adults have so much exposure to the variety of fields that are, that are out there, including IT. A lot of younger individuals don't realize how many different aspects there are to the technology field, whether it's networking or data or architecture. And for me, that's another important piece um, just to kind of uh, provide exposure to. So that's something that it appears when, when you and I have spoken through your background in the past, you, you've shared um, both the career journey, but there was something that consistently stood out, which was that you've been a mentor from almost your early career as well. So it seems like every stage, no matter where you're going, you're always reaching back and kind of pulling other people with you. So why does mentorship matter? Yeah, and, and I love that you picked up on that because I guess I didn't realize that as much. Um, I do know I'm very deliberate about mentoring now, especially as I'm further along in my career. But I did when I was younger. In fact, even at Penn State, during my free time, I was going into the middle schools and tutoring math students, math, math, you know, young, young children, teenagers, not young children, but teenagers there. I just think it's it's a giving part, right? In in life, you choose to either take or give. And it's just a part, a natural part to me. I want to be able to give. And and I do see joy in in, in individuals growing. And, and seeing that they're, they're realizing they can do something that they didn't think they could do. Um, so for me, I, I just, it's one of those things, it's just a part, a part of me, but I did. Um, I found that uh, mentoring, especially math classes was really gratifying to me. It's an aspect of programming, right? Being able to work with algorithms and designs. And so I gravitated towards that when I was, when I was younger. Um, but I just think it's a part of who I am. And I do find other people that have that spirit as well. Um, I don't know. I think it's just part of how I was born in my DNA. That's a, yeah, it's, I appreciate the honesty because not, you know, it doesn't always have to be the well, I do it for this specific, you, you are doing it for probably an inner reason that you want to give back and support others. Um, did you personally have mentors at each stage of your career or maybe offer, when did you first have someone mentoring you? I should probably ask. Oh, Connor. And this is what's really, um, I've had to think about this for a while. So I did not have a whole lot of mentors and maybe that's where I was, I was mentoring myself. 
um, in terms of, you know, through others. And, um, but I didn't, and I have had actually thought about that a lot is, is later on in my career, I've had um, a couple of folks uh, mentor me more from a leadership perspective. And that was so instrumental to me. But in my, in my younger years career, I was, I did not have mentors. Um, and I know a lot of people talk about the importance of, of mentors. I, I actually think it's a combination of people believing in you, whether it's your direct boss or whomever, and also taking the hardest projects that you can. So I, I would tell folks that you don't have to have a whole lot of mentors to be successful. Um, as long as you're taking the hardest projects you can, you've got people that believe in you, um, the mentors will come along in your journey and during the times that you need them there. So for example, uh, before I became um, a chief architect, that was where I really had a strong mentor and, and I needed that. She was phenomenal and believed in me for quite some time and just pushed me and pushed me to, you know, strive to be the best that I could be. And, and I just think it's, it's where you need it. So I do find myself um, reflecting a lot on, it's not about the number of mentors you have, it's where they show up in your life that I think is really critical. That's a great phrase. I, I think that's going to be one of the quotes for the, for the show, actually, because I, I really um, can relate to that. that. A lot of people listening might not have a mentor yet, because I know we have a balance of early career folks, and we might also have some senior leaders similar to yourself who might be a future guest who are listening and trying to get a feel for what the show is like. Um, from my side, I didn't have always have mentors. And then now I feel like I'm surrounded by people that want to support my growth and support my journey. And one thing that I'll share from maybe a, a vulnerable perspective with others is that you might not actually, you might be like, why are they mentoring me? Why are they choosing me? Why are they helping me so much? This is this opportunity is too good to be true. It's unbelievable. It feels surreal. That's actually imposter syndrome. And that's us not realizing that we're worthy of what we're getting, which is normal because if you're leaping forward in your life or in your career to a new stage, like you don't have that promotion yet, or you haven't joined that company, you haven't launched your company, whatever the scenario might be, if someone's saying you can do it, Remember that person who's talking to you is talking from experience. They've they've done the hard graft already. They've they've walked on that on that untrodden um, graph and, and grass and made the pathway. So you can listen to them and don't worry about if you're good enough or not. Just listen to the person that knows more and doesn't mean you have to do what they say. It, what's important is to listen and to try and absorb and then make your own version of your future based on pieces of advice, maybe from one great mentor or maybe from a handful of other, some people call it the, the board of directors like Trina Hill, one of our previous guests from Synchrony Bank. So I feel like it's just being open-minded and, and trusting people who've got a bit more experience than you and then seeing where that takes you. Yeah, and I think in the in, in our virtual world um, with COVID here too, it's it's made a lot of us rethink um, what we're doing and how we're mentoring. And I actually am on, on the other side of the fence where I'm encouraging other leaders. And it, you don't have to be an executive; you could be um, a manager, a director. It doesn't matter to actually put themselves out there. And I feel myself doing it. And I'm probably, you know, still maybe eight, 10 years out in my career, but I, I can see the other side in terms of, hey, um, I've already had a long career, a longer career. Um, how can I give back? Because that, that runway I have left isn't very long. And so with us being virtual now, 
I, I find myself if I'm in a meeting um, and I hear somebody really exciting, whether it's an engineer or a developer or, or somebody speaking an idea or a thought, um, after the meeting, I will reach out to them and just say, hey, um, you know, I, I heard you talking during the meeting and I was really excited about the ideas you were sharing. And would you like to sync up and just chat and, and just you know be sounding boards together? And you're absolutely right. They are floored. They're absolutely floored. And, and I love that they're floored. But for me, I sit there and think, I'm just Tiffany. And I was just so fascinated by the ideas you were sharing. And I'd like to get to know you better. And um, in this last year, I found that a couple of folks were at that crossroads in their career. And I find this a lot in technology. They're not sure if they want to head towards an engineering path to keep deep, or if they want to go in architecture and be broad. So they're asking me, you know, Tiffany, I'm at this crossroads. I'm not quite sure what to do. And I've had a couple of them interview for positions and I, they, they head one way or the other. And they, they say, thank you so much for just being a sounding board and a phone call for me during that critical crossroads. And I'll share with them, hey, I've been there before too. And I know the feeling and you just have to, you know, get a sense for what is speaking to you. But I, like I said, is, is I find myself challenging more the leaders of putting themselves out there for individuals. And it doesn't just have to be interns. Um, we at Nationwide are very supportive with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and I'm an executive sponsor for the Women in IT for the Nationwide Women Track, and those are the individuals within Nationwide, and so I have a chance to be able to talk about what does that mean, and, and these, are, these are seasoned, right, women who have been, you know, 5, 10, 15 years in their career and still need advice, and so we find ourselves, you know, putting ourselves and making ourselves available to them, and then there's another piece to the Women in IT at Nationwide, and those are for the future women. So we, these are the women that are in middle school and high school and college. And so that's what I love about Nationwide is, is I think these conversations around mentorship, it's a part of our culture and um, we have the opportunities to be able to share that. Yeah, I, th I think that's great. And that, that, that's very close to the, um, the way Strategio thinks as well, where we know that it's not about having every piece of talent in the industry already available you have to actually one of the things i've started talking about recently is talent creation instead of talent acquisition if we're only all acquiring something then it's the resources will end up all gone and so we have to create something new so when you've mentioned middle school and, and you know more junior folks that haven't even entered the career workforce if you can inspire them and say hey here's what nationwide believes in here's our brand here's our mission and our philosophy of what we should be achieving for our communities and we have the the financial resources and the authority in this industry to be able to make a change you'll have people a funnel of talent that could be it could pay dividends in 15 years from now or 10 years from now but yeah. that's a you know the talent crunch we're in in 2021 and heading into 2022 any advantage we can get in the next few years is a, is a major help. So I think that's a, a really great thing that you're doing. So you, you've also, you've mentioned it to me in, in the past that um, getting along the way, you have, without choosing to have to, you know, you, you're now in a very senior position that you have to be a role model to other people. And just by being good at your career, by taking some of the hard routes and get, gaining this really great experience and the knowledge, proving what you can do, you're now expected to be a role model. People look up to you. They expect you to behave a certain way. Talk to me about some of the pros and cons of having to be a role model, not even by choice, but just by performance in your career. 
Yeah, that's a great question too, especially in the technology field. It's it's constantly changing. So you you have to have the knowledge. Um, I kind of joke around about all the paradigm shifts that I've seen throughout my career, mainframe to client server, client server to web, web to cloud migrations, now to cloud native. And you have to be a continuous learner. And so, you know, folks look to you to be an expert and, and it is, there's a pressure there too, because there, like I said, there's so many different facets to technology. Um, I am constantly um, reading and, and, and training up my own skills. Um, I think it's really important that, that I'm able to um, just to be there and do uh, I, I kind of laugh around design. Um, I drive my, my team crazy because I can jump in there with them. I love to jump in there with them. If they're working through a design, I'll just say, hey, you know, do you want to do you want to collaborate together or whatever? I think it's really important that you're able to show you've got the technical skills and that you can also do what they do. That's really, really, really important, I believe. Um, so again, a lot of pressure there too. Now, the other dimension is leadership. And what leadership means to one person is different than it is to another person. It's, it's really, it's really what, what you think about. I do know that um, people look to me um, from a leadership style. I, I do tell others uh, that want to become leaders, look around you and look at the leaders that impress you, um, whether it's the good or the bad, and, and, and look to see how, what that means to you as a leader. So I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm a, a very good leader to my organization. And I think I shared this with you too in the past. Um, for me, what's really important is, is bringing out the greatness in others. So, um, you know, how I'm looked upon, I want to make sure that folks in my organization and folks that I work with, work with know that um, I want them to be the best that they can be and I want them to continue to grow. Um, so for me, at the end of the day, it's, you know, my technology skills, that, that's for me. I need to make sure that I can keep um, hands on and relevant. Um, so that way, I, you know, my team is also relevant. Um, but also the leadership part of it too is really important and being passionate to make sure that um, my leaders and my organization, everybody's continually growing. And, um, and, and I'll say, and I share this with you as well too, I try to make sure that I give folks an opportunity for a stretch effort. Um, in my organization, for those that are uh, product architects, so they're, they're on the lines on the grounds, um, I will say to them, hey, I've got this initiative for 2022. I'd like for you to join me. And they're looking around saying, oh, goodness, you know, I, I don't work on strategic work. I've got my stuff on the line. I'm like, nope, you're partnering with me, not your boss, but with me. And we're going to do this. And um, you're going to be in this journey with me as we deliver something for, you know, the, the, the senior leadership. So again, I think that that growth part is a really important piece. I measure myself on that. If I can see my organization growing, then I feel like I'm doing my job and I just keep pushing myself to keep doing it. That's amazing. And, and I think they, um, a, a good leader, like you've mentioned there, they, it doesn't mean that they have to do the day-to-day the -day doing all the time. They have to be able to think with vision and to innovate and to drive the mission of that organization forward. They also, it, it's really helpful if they do know exactly what goes. So they don't have to be there every single minute of the day, side by side, for example, coding next to the, the team there. But they could also be able to say, when you need me to step in, I can show you that I know what I'm doing and I am an expert and I'm here for a reason. Like, I did earn my chops to get to this position, right? Mm -hmm. It's knowing when to like, 
use the scalability of like, you've got teams, you can delegate, you can use the resources around you to grow and, and to support the mission. And also times when you're like, don't worry, we've got this, we're in this together. And then the team buys into you a bit more. They see that you can lead from the front and that you're not just there because you have some fancy title or you actually are an expert in that same space with them. Yeah, it's so important for all of us as leaders. And there's this concept of zooming in and zooming out. And I feel like I almost do that on a daily basis where um, it's also, I'm accountable for making sure that I'm providing a direction architecturally to my organization. And um, so I've got to make sure I can see that bigger picture. Um, but also at times what we were just talking about zooming in and if we're having a production issue, am I able to jump on the call and be there and support um, the engineers and the architects as we're working through, um, you know, some sort of sub zero or something there. Um, it was funny, you know, back to things that we have around just to remind us of our leadership. Um, and my desk, I have this really cheap but big picture of Sacagawea and she's pointing her finger forward and Lewis and Clark are beside her and there's this whole broad landscape behind her. And it reminds me that my role is to provide direction I have to make sure for my team, I'm providing direction. Um, and so that's just a constant reminder uh, to me that um, that's part of my role as well. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you've mentioned um, how important leadership is and there's different styles of leadership. Um, how would you define, I guess, in a succinct way, a, a good leader? What is good leadership in, in your opinion? For me, integrity is so very important that you are trying to do the right thing for the people that are around you, for the company that you support. Um, it's really, really important there. So um, that you're, you're trying to do something bigger than yourself. And um, it's not about you at all. It's selfless. And so I don't know if I can um, just encapsulate it into a, a single concept, but it's a, a few things grouped together that uh, make up a good leader to me. Again, somebody, um, integrity is so important is, is, does this person, do they care about all of us and where do we want to go? I think you have to be able to show others that you genuinely care about them. Um, again, it's a very selfless, being, being an outstanding leader, in my opinion, it's selfless. And you've just got to make sure um, you're providing direction and you're doing it with honesty, um, respect, respect. Um, that's really important to me as well. Some of the things you've said do hit the mark for me because I, I'm consistently trying to study what is a good leader. That's why I love hosting this podcast because I get to meet with other leaders as well. I'm growing a company right now. I'm a, a relatively new CEO who's like growing myself and I have to continuously learn like you, like one of the, the things that you've mentioned. It's one of our eight values at Strategio to continuously learn. And, and for me, the more and more I, I look at what good leaders are like, it's almost the, the opposite to what people historically would think of a leader as being. The, the old school image of a leader is this like tough exterior, um, like nothing impacts them. They're perfect. They just move forward and they care about themselves and growing. And it's the complete opposite. It's like, how do you care more about the people around you? How do you serve them? Hence servant leadership. How do you turn up 
for everybody else to make that to help those people grow and have them be successful and that is the success of the leader it's the high empathy how does the team feel how do i make that team feel happy more and then in turn they'll be more productive and you're not there to burn them out and to just drive them hard you're there to inspire them to believe in something and in turn they will do the things that you hope for the good of the overall mission and vision that you're directing them towards yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. With one of my uh, gentlemen in my organization, um, just even a few weeks ago, we were talking, he he has an aspiration, right, to, to be a certain role one day. And um, I just asked him, I said, hey, with, with the projects you've worked on this year and, and efforts alongside me, um, do you feel like you've grown? He said, I've grown more this year than I have ever. And, and so for me, that's what's really important. That's not going to classes, right? It's not reading a book, but it's, it's hands-on working on projects. And like I said, this is, you know, making sure that you're providing opportunities. I used to have a, a phrase that I said years back that to my teams is, is I want you to um, be relevant on our team, be relevant at nationwide and be relevant outside nationwide. And that last point, they were like, oh my gosh, if I'm relevant outside of Nationwide, I could get a job anywhere. And I said, yes, you could. But isn't that pretty cool? That, 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 that's how skilled you are. That's how knowledgeable you are. And, and that is a piece of vulnerability as a leader. You're pushing them um, and, and they might leave one day. Um, but that's another sense of pride too. And I've been thinking about that recently. Um, in the architecture profession, there's uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, individuals. I shared with you that we probably have about 200, now that's gonna sound like a lot, about 200 architects at Nationwide, um, but those are product architects, those are project architects, those are solutions architects. Um, and it's a really great community there, very strong architectural community. Um, we've lost several very strong architects this year to other companies and and it's and it's it's a loss unfortunately the nationwide however it speaks volumes to the skills that they have these other companies are getting phenomenal architects um, and so I couldn't be prouder um, of what we've done as a profession within nationwide and again another skill set here too but um, again, I, I feel that I'm constantly balancing between leadership and then also leading architecturally. Again, that's that's the niche that I plan, and it's not a very um, widely known niche. And I want to try to make sure I understand what it means to be an outstanding leader in the architect realm. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's that's your sweet spot. That's the space that you're you've chosen to become a master in and to become both the leader and the architect and make sure that you can inspire others to pursue that and to also become experts and masters of that same trade within whether it's within nationwide or in general that's almost like your personal cause or your why right you're creating that over and over again which I can imagine would be a really uh, inspiring place to be when you know that okay my leader is actually here for the good of me growing and to become an expert at this thing and if I, whether I go or not, they're still going to be proud of me and, and to support me. But actually that removing those kind of controls in terms of letting people flourish and get, letting them grow a personal brand, whether they're, you know, even if they're in your company, 
often by giving freedom to people, we actually get a lot of back in return. Quite often it's like the companies that try and control and stop people. Don't use LinkedIn. Don't post anything about what you do. You're going to have recruiters reaching out to you. Well, nowadays we've all got multiple different ways of getting access, whether it's social media or just sending a message to that person individually. You Putting controls in place won't block anything. It's actually the, the total opposite to how it will work. It'll just create a, a negative um internal dialogue within the company and actually when people are like well my leader cares about me when my team cares about me they probably have a, a higher likeliness of staying with you and being happy there anyway exactly yeah yeah and we talk about that often at nationwide too and how that's so important i wanted to also share with you too is is you know i talk a lot about architecture i i didn't have any classes when you talked about penn state and with my major in architecture and and I don't know of many um, college curriculums, uh, whether it's computer science um, or engineering, software engineering or information systems where there's a focus on architecture. So those of us in this field, um, it's, it tends to have happened organically. And I just wanted to share with you that too, because I think it's another important part to my journey is, is when I was starting again as a developer and a software engineer, I had a chance to see the entire life cycle throughout the first 10 years of my career. So plan, build and run. And, and during the build part of it, I was fascinated by the design aspect of it. And I had an early opportunity to work with a Microsoft engineer and he was very passionate about design. And I think it got me intrigued. And I also um, then took some courses. Uh, Carnegie Mellon has a software engineering institute and there's a focus or an emphasis on architecture. So I started taking some courses there too, not many, but it just reinforced for me that particular piece of it. So I also just wanted to make sure that your listeners had a chance to understand that, you know, architecture too, like many other parts of technology, um, it happens organically through our careers and just being able to be exposed to it, whether it's through other colleagues or through curriculum, um, it will excite you maybe um, to pursue something you didn't even think about. That's great. No, I, I love that you're sharing that. And that, this is what's really interesting. We're in a time where the, the resources available to get into technology, there are so many, right? Like free places to learn. There's, there's YouTube. You can Google anything. You can go on various different software providers that will give you ways to get into tech using their platforms. It isn't just writing code. For, like if you don't enjoy coding, or if you don't, if you don't enjoy infrastructure operations, or if you, you know, there's 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 loads of different pieces of how, like based on your mindset and what you enjoy and what your passions are, can stem you towards a different route into tech. So it's really like if you want to get into tech and you're open minded to it, just be open to the different routes and the different tracks, and don't think that maybe just the one thing that your sister or brother or friend told you about is the only way. It's a really, really broad career path with, with hundreds and hundreds, I would say, of different types of day-to-day -day jobs that could be done. Yeah, and even some of the companies are really good too. I know Nationwide um, is, is outstanding in this area. Um, there was an initiative this year called Future of Work. And so we, we are all uh, given eight hours to be able to, uh, to do training, whether it's um, through you know, automation, digital programming. So I could be on the business side, be intrigued about Pearl and take a LinkedIn learning course or Udemy course or something. Um, and Nationwide encourages it, right? They're, they're, they're saying to all of us, continue to build your skills and we're here to support you how we can do it. So, um, and I'm asked, asked that too, Connor, a lot is as folks will, will say, you know, how do you stay skilled 
through me, podcasts are definitely a really important piece of it. You know, we talked about like the, the different types of training that's online and you're absolutely right. Even when I was going to school, there weren't courses online. Um, it was just what you learned there on prem. And so the magnitude of information that's out there is outstanding. Um, so the, the younger generation, they don't know that they realize how lucky they have it in terms of how much materials out there and hands-on experience that they can get. Yeah, I think one of the challenges now that folks are having is actually, what do I learn? Because they've got too much, it's information overload. And then it's figuring out with that information overload, what, like where do you, you just need a, a guide, a facilitator to say, this is the, the right route. This is the, the resources that you should focus on based on your skill set and your aptitude. Mm -hmm. So we, we spoke about architecture and um, Nationwide is a big company. So let's have a quick discussion here about the, the I, I can imagine that the complexity of what's coming into play in the scale that you're working at. You've got tons of developers, tons of different people. You've got people doing test testing. You've got um, infrastructure operations. You've got networking. You've got people working on the database. And we're using more and more tools. Previously, there would be a limited number of tools. These tools have allowed us to move faster, add automation, to use cloud computing anywhere, anytime, different scalability, and so on but it probably adds some complexity if not managed right from an architectural standpoint. So what are some of the, um, the, the constraints or the challenges you're seeing during this large scale transformation into this like current digital world that we're working in? Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, so as I mentioned, um, I'm a chief architect and nationwide has four business units and I oversee the corporate, um, the corporate technology one. So that's a lot of the back office, your finance, your investments, your HR systems, your IT for IT. We also have a PNC, our insurance company. We have a financial company and a marketing and emerging business company. They are chief architects over each of those four business units. We also have a chief architect over data. So the chief data architect and a security one. So the collective seven of us over the last year, especially um, being virtual, we've known that it's even more important to make sure that we're walking in lockstep with each other. To your point, uh, tools and technologies, goodness gracious, um, whether it's a cloud platform or any type of tool or technology, the lines are so excited and want to um, produce their products, their software quickly, right? And, and we are an agile company as well from a technology side. And so you're trying to balance the standards um, that Nationwide um, prefers to use as opposed to those that, that we do not. Um, it has been something very intentional this last year. We've been uh, looking to be more precise and explicit about those that are uh, approved uh, tools and technologies. Um, sometimes we'll reference, um, this is just a recent dialogue with the chief architects as a group is, is you know, what's that golden path of tools and technologies to be able to produce a solution, whether it's a mobile solution, whether it's a web solution, whether it's an AWS solution. Um, and it, there is, I think we are trying as a group of seven chief architects to make sure that we're, uh, and, and not so prescriptive that you can't have creativity. That's another balance too, Connor, is, is we wanna make sure that folks don't feel like they're handicapped. 
Um, so instead of saying, well, you can't do that, well, what else can I do? I actually have a, a couple of teams too that are working on cloud native solutions and I'm their biggest advocate if they want to use a, a new service, it's not, it's a newer service being operational to nationwide. It's not new to AWS, but they want to be able to use as part of their design. I am there beside them as their advocate talking to the security chief architect or the infrastructure and operations. I, I actually forgot that other chief, that's another chief architect in for, um, infrastructure and operations. So we're all working together. I am there trying to make sure that there's visibility to the solutions that are out there. That's actually the biggest challenge, Connor, is, is knowing what is happening on the ground, the visibility to the designs or the proposed designs that folks are working on. And so I hold myself accountable and the other chief architects accountable during huddles or other conversations that we're bringing forward and visibility um, and gaining alignment on how we're approaching these designs, especially if they're using you know, similar patterns or practices that we're, we're all using. So again, I think, again, that was a little long-winded, but the chief architects collectively and the infrastructure and operations chief architect is very instrumental as well, as we're looking to make sure that our solutions can scale now in an elastic environment. And, and a lot of the developers and the architects um, tend to focus first and foremost on the, uh, the functional requirements or the features that the business is looking for. And I've always argued that I think the non-functional quality attributes are more important. How is it going to be resilient? How's it going to scale? Uh, what's the availability on it? And, and so now in these cloud platforms, that, that infrastructure, the elastic notion of it is even that much more important. So the complexity of standards, the complexity of uh, the platforms that we're on, it, it's, it's a very dynamic environment. And I think you have to collaborate across the organization. Um, and I think, um, and just recently too, we've, um, we've uh, introduced distinguished engineer roles. So they, they will be going in deeper and partnering with the chief architects to be able to help us to, to be there more effectively. That's a, that's a great response to that. I, I really appreciate the, the detail on that. And it's definitely not um, going too deep into it at all. Okay. I think that's really interesting <laughs> to hear because it, it, we're talking about some, such a large organization with so many use cases and, uh, and so many customers that the amount of, of work being done, the different, okay, we've got this being delivered for this team here, this for this team. And we're talking like thousands of different scenarios that are being done. So to be able to, to use a new tool here, to use a new technology, to, to work on this case, this is just adding complexity over and over again, but while speeding things up, while delivering either the same or higher quality, and it's just making sure that you don't build debt into that system while you're doing it. So there's not you know, the ability to maintain and to make sure, like you said, that it's highly scalable, it's reliable, it's available, and it's not building in a problem that we're going to see in the system later on that we didn't realize. If we build in some sort of bad habits into our workflow, then we create real problems. So the, the collaboration, though, it's, it's easy to say. It's just hard to do at the actual, the, the, the flow we're talking about here. It's the, the number of people have to have to be involved, the observability of all of that, the orchestration of the whole system as well as it's moving forward. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And another uh, important dimension too is security. We quite often are talking about how secure are our solutions. And um, nationwide, that is one of the technology organization's top priorities. So alongside all of those different quality attributes we mentioned, security is right there and making sure that, that the solutions that we design and develop are meeting all of the, uh, the security requirements that, that are necessary. But yeah, the collaboration, Connor, I think we're by the end of the day, usually where I am tired is because of the amount of collaboration that, that we have to do. You know, you're, you're collaborating across the organization. So you have to be very mindful of um, your peers and what they're doing and picking up the phone and calling. That's something, you know, in our digital world today, you know, folks are used to um, teams or, or, you know, virtual meetings. Um, I'm old school as well. I will, I will, I constantly have my phone with me and I'm calling people, hey, or texting folks, hey, do you have five minutes to chat? And I think that's also really important too. You have to be accessible um, to be able to have that effective co collaboration. And I don't, I don't think that's actually old school. I, I think there's a, a real benefit to using a standard phone call sometimes because you can increase uh, the, the flow of the conversation and actually the, the way that you collaborate. So sometimes instead of just doing a standard video call, I enjoy speaking to the person as if it's face-to-face, -face, which is the closest we've got at this point in time. But me going for a walk with my dog, walking somewhere completely random with my head, headphones on, having a conversation with my, my team members, I might see something or th it might stem some extra creativity or some new thoughts because you're not in the same room doing the same thing over and over again. So actually just a standard phone call can really break up. It also can help with things like burnout and fatigue that a lot of people are facing nowadays because of the consistent seeing ourselves all day long and speaking to other people and having to maintain a perfect focus during those conversations. It's quite different to, to the previous in-office face-to-face that we would be used to. Mm -hmm. So let, let, that, that stems me on to culture. How do we grow and maintain culture while we are still in this world that we're in? Or well, this is the new world we're in and it's not really going to change any, anytime soon. How do we grow a culture in an organization such as Nationwide during a time like this? Yeah, so Nationwide continually gets awards for outstanding culture. Um, and, and when you walk Prior to COVID, when you walked into our buildings and, and we're, um, our corporate headquarters are here in Columbus, Ohio, but we also have um, large, a large presence in Scottsdale and Des Moines and Philadelphia, as well as other, other satellite areas. But you can feel the culture and, and often it's tagged nationwide nice. It's a very respectful, very transparent culture. And I've been told that by other folks who come from different companies, they can't believe how much we share. Um, and so you walk in the buildings and it's just very friendly and, and just, you know, super fun, um, but also hardcore, right? We're there to do, um, to do a job and support our business. Now with COVID, it's, it's made folks sit back and say, oh my gosh, we're not in the buildings anymore. We can't, you know, we can't, you know, have those hallway conversations. And what about our culture? And very recently, our senior um, HR leader said, culture is us. Don't forget it's us. And so whether you're in those virtual meetings, um, you know, or, or finding yourself in a hybrid setting now, don't forget it's how we treat each other. It's, it's, it's how we help each other to grow. It's how we collaborate with each other. That, that's what it is. So, so it is a significant conversation at Nationwide because we pride ourselves with that. Um, so it's, 
we're, we're looking to see how, how do we make sure it's there. I know even just recently, my leaders and I, we were talking about this. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were there for for our for our organization. A lot of folks uh, they have not been in the office. Goodness, for it's been two years now. Um, we have a hybrid um, set up right now where you can go in alternating weeks and social distancing. Um, nationwide is flexible, so you know you may see somebody come in one day or a month, or it's it's not it's not precise. So like I said, we haven't seen people for a while. So the leaders and I were saying, how can we do a road trip? Let's do a road trip. Let's go out and see them. We're going to, you know, there's a couple of parks or a handful of parks here around Columbus, Ohio. We'll, we'll choose a couple locations and where people want to meet us, they can meet us. We'll just do a road trip together and we'll say hi to everybody. Um, my leadership is so awesome about that. And I think that's what's really important you also find subcultures within a company. Um, I'm really proud of, of um, my organization, and even my leader. She encourages just a very collaborative, very open and fun environment. And I think that's been really helpful as well. But you start to see that as well, Connor, is, is there's now subcultures coming up based off of a leader's style. Um, but I think in my case, what I see firsthand is, is a very fun, culture that we're looking to say, how can we continue this through COVID and thinking differently about it, thinking differently. So, you know, team lunches that are creative, right? Um, and one of my leaders does that every, every month or so his group, they meet at a park for lunch. Um, so I, I think that's another piece of it too, is, is how do you, the culture's being recreated, I guess, Connors is what I'm saying. And, it, and it, it's all going to be us and how we're creative about it and how we're caring about it and genuine about it. It's not the the walls, it's not the carpet or the desks, it's the people, it's the individuals and what they bring to the organization that makes it a culture. I, I really like also the the idea of just going on a road show or go, going to the parks. I, I'm trying, um, so one of our previous uh, guests, uh, Natalie Nixon, who wrote the book uh, Creativity Leap, she said, Connor, you've got to play. You have to play and get outside of your comfort zone, do things that you wouldn't normally do and suck at some of those things and learn to fail around your team and to like bring that together and have a laugh. And But then guess what? You'll come up with really great, innovative, new solutions to things. So tomorrow um, we're going to get together and we're going to try some improv. I, I have never done improv, by the way. So this isn't like a, I know it inside out and I'm going to bring this knowledge to it. I'm reading up on the best ways to create a, a, a scenario, but I want to play. I want to get together with my team for an hour. It's going to be on video because we're in different locations. And I'm just going to like completely no constraints. Here's a scenario where like you've just landed on Mars. You're an alien or something funny that we can just start talking about. No work. But guess what? That will increase our collaboration. It will increase our relationship. And I'll give you feedback on how that goes. We'll see what, I what happens. I love to because I'm like you too. I tend to be a little bit more of an introvert. I'll watch other people do that that stuff. Now, my my group, my leaders, they are fun. So they'll, they'll often be the creative ones that that bring me along for the ride. Hey, Tiff, let's do this. Or and I love it because they're bringing out a side of me um, that, that typically like, isn't there like 24 seven. I love that part of it. And so there are some positive things about this pandemic that we've, you know, that we're all living through together, being more creative and allowing ourselves to have fun, allowing ourselves to take care of ourselves too. That's something else that's really important. Um, I, I think a lot of us have realized, um, that, that priority to take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul, um, I don't know that we thought about that as much 
before the pandemic. And so lots of really cool things there. But the fun part, yeah, you have to let me know about the improv. I would suck at it incredibly. <laughs> I think I will too. I, I, that's what I, I'm like, I need to learn this as well. It's going to be a great experience. But I, I imagine they're going to be much better than me. And that's a good thing because you want to be able to say, show me what I don't know stuff. I need to put my hand up. And then increase the way that we ask more questions than ways that we show we are we don't know and then that whole like not being good at things becomes okay and then when we're not good at it in our day-to-day -day interactions in the company then we're going to learn to solve problems faster like oh you didn't know that well here's how we actually do it and we'll learn to explain and collaborate so i'm going to see if i can build something like this in i love it there's there's a saying that i used to actually say years ago um it's one plus one equals three so often, you know, you think that you're an essence, you know, a subject matter expert um, and you, you know it, you know it best. But actually, when you partner with somebody else, he or she knows something else, too. And guess what? Together, your 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 net is so much more that which the final result of what you do together is so much greater than had you done it alone. And so back to your point in collaborating together, but bringing the fun into it too, right? You've got to bring that fun into it. Um, maybe then it's one plus one equals four. I don't know. When <laughs> Who knows? Exactly. But I, I will feed back and we'll see. So, okay. Tiffany, we, we've reached one of my favorite parts of the show, even though the obviously earlier conversations are great as well. But um, we're at the quick fire questions. And so the first of those quick fire questions, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing you tell your younger self on day one of their first job okay so i would say don't forget to look at the bigger picture and i started out as a programmer so what i cared about was that class or that module that i was coding and didn't even think about what else it was interacting with or the bigger picture of the system it was going to be a part of so i would tell the younger tiffany hey pay attention to the broader ecosystem that your code is playing in. And I, and I think then there's a greater appreciation, right? Um, I have a chance to, to, to do a lot around aviation. My husband's in, in aviation. And I often think about software architecture is very similar to a plane. Understand the components that make up that plane, that have a broader system that, that work together. Um, but sometimes we just think about that one little piece, that one little piece of code. And I think it's so short-sighted. So I would, I would say that to the younger Tiffany, pay attention to the bigger picture. That's fantastic feedback and something that actually has been brought up on a num with a number of guests about the importance of know why you're doing what you're doing. And if you understand that, you'll ask better questions, you'll be more intentional with what you're doing and you'll see the overall impact. And in turn, you'll have an increased uh, satisfaction in your own job because you understand where it's going. And you won't just create, you'll prioritize better. You won't just, like for example, write lines of code that you're thinking are just for you. You'll think about where it goes in, in the long term. And if you start to prioritize properly, then you'll focus on, on good quality work as well. Exactly, yeah. So what's the, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? So, okay, I think I'm gonna cheat because I don't know that I just have one. We talked about integrity earlier. Honesty and integrity, integrity is certainly that that's up there, but I think it's a combination too. We talked about collaboration is really an important key. We talked about being a continuous learner and I'm gonna actually add one more piece too that I think is important is, is respectful candor. You have to speak your mind and and don't 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 hesitate, right? To, to to say something that your gut is telling you or your experience is telling you. There's the candor part of it. 
but you don't have to be brash about it. You don't have to be mean about it or arrogant about it. Be respectful about it. Um, I appreciate my leadership because I think that they emulate those four qualities, the integrity, the collaboration, the continuous learner. Certainly they have candor. They definitely do. And I love it. Um, but they're all respectful about it. We get so much done because of that. So I think, you know, again, I kind of cheated. I didn't give you just one quality. Um, I do think it's that that collection together um, is just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I love it to be able to compassionately disagree. It's one of our, another one of our eight um, values. I call it to be transparent, but that means if you know something is wrong and you're not telling the other person, you're doing a disservice to the overall mission, but it doesn't mean that you have to be rude and say you're stupid or you didn't get this right or blame people. You can compassionately disagree with other people and then share accurate feedback that helps them and the overall organization move forward. So number three, what is the number one solution for improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in enterprise IT? I think sometimes people think it has to be big. It has to be uh, an organization or a club or, or some sort of foundation that you're a part of. I actually think it starts really local. We talked about that earlier. Um, I think for uh, you as a person or as a leader, first and foremost, have to listen and look around you. But you also have the ability and, and you know, to, to, to reach out and to make a difference. I feel like I've made more of a difference by my one-on-one -on -one interactions through especially the last couple of years. Um, and, and because you make it personal and you make you make yourself approachable too. I think sometimes when when folks feel like it has to be organized and, and something bigger, whether like I said, a club or, or something, um, certainly those are out there as forms and opportunities, but it also can be very localized. And, and I sit back and I am so proud of the individuals that I've mentored throughout my career and where they are right now. And it's just been one-on-ones. It's been conversations. I've made myself accessible. I've, I'm a sounding board to them. Back to the candor part of it. I share with them my lessons learned. So um, again, I, I think it's a very, very important part, especially as leaders. We have to make sure that we're listening and we're providing ourselves, um, we're giving ourselves out there to be able to make a difference. While also not saying we don't participate in those other forums, but I think it's also part that's missed. You have the ability as a human being to also make a difference. Yeah, it's not always a large scale initiative or a massive program or a tick in a box. Sometimes it's having a conversation or and or listening. Yeah. It's as simple as that. It can be, and that can be having conversations with people that are nothing like you from a totally different background. But the more we have those conversations, the more people begin to increase equity, they begin to increase inclusion, a sense of belonging, and they have a, a say, they have a, a voice in the room, or maybe someone supporting them and their cause as well. It goes back to something we talked about earlier, too, is this when I told you, like, if I'm in a meeting, um, and I hear a voice around like an engineer or developer, somebody I, that's intriguing, that's exciting, to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I loved your idea. I loved your thought there. Let's sync up and let's talk more. I think that's another very important piece, too. That's great. So the, the, a, a new and, and, and final quickfire question that we've added for today's one, because I, I, it's actually, it's such an obvious question we should be asking people like yourself, Tiffany, with all your experience and knowledge. What, which book and or podcast are you currently enjoying that you can share with us? Okay. 
So podcast, I'm a software engineering daily junkie. I love that podcast. Um, I can't get enough of it, but sometimes there's so much information that I have to breathe. Um, but I, that is definitely my favorite podcast. I am actually reading right now another book too. I have to look back. It's called Continuous Architecture in Practice. Um, again, sometimes people think of architecture as big bang. It can also be agile as developers were coding and, and you know, small, smaller chunks and, and iterating through it. Certainly architecture can do the same thing. So, um, so there, there you go. Awesome. Tiffany, thank you so much. It's been a great episode. I feel like I could keep talking to you all day and I'm not just saying that. It's like really interesting conversation with so many different topics we've touched on. Love the positivity that you bring. Like, you know, you, you said nearly 30 years into your career, you still have all of this energy that you're still bringing on a daily basis and the passion is very obvious to see. So thank you so much. I think you've been an amazing guest. I'm looking forward to publishing this episode of our guests. Awesome, Connor, thank you so much. It's been enjoyable for me as well, thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategio.